1: She can just come in She don't have to knock She can just come in Why? Because she's my wife Because we got a relationship And the second persons Are my children And they take advantage Of that access (laughs) Dad, dad, dad um, Can you see I'm talking with somebody meeting with people I'm praying right now What do you want? (laughs) Well, Abba Can I ask the money? Because it's always money (laughs) Parents Can I get a witness? You know that's right But they have access. Why? Because of relationships. So as Jesus now listen, as he's talking to his disciples and he's explaining that they have access to the father, that was shocking because they knew their Bibles and they knew their history. And they knew that under the old covenant, no one had access to God. That God was unapproachable in the old covenant. Oh, you remember way back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and he sealed the garden, and no man had access to his presence. And then in the wilderness, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, you know the people were told not to come near the mountain. And then in the tabernacle, in the temple, as God was there behind the veil of the temple, the Shekinah glory of God hovered over the the, the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And there was an 18-inch thick veil that had gold angels Threads on it. It was beautiful. And no man had access to God except the high priest, and even that once a year in the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. God was unapproachable. So when Jesus tells the disciples, when you pray, say Abba Father, Jesus was saying to them, listen, you now have access. And not only was he saying to the disciples, you now have access, but he's also saying to us today, we have access. How do you know, Rodney? Because Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 tells us, let us come what? Boldly to the throne of grace. That's access granted. That we may obtain mercy and find grace when saints to help in a time of need. We have access. Amen. And, And not only do we have access, but notice the Bible tells us we have access into this grace. Look at verse two, into this grace in which we stand this grace where we stand. Now, I'm not trying to bore you with Greek, but here we go again. This phrase we stand is again in the Greek language, in the present tense. In other words, it's something that happened in the past, but the results carry into the future. And even if something would come against that grace, it cannot be removed. It's the grace in which we continually stand. We stand firm in grace. We stand sure in grace. We stand eternally in grace. In grace, saints, listen. In this grace, we stand We don't stand in our worthiness. You got to know. We don't stand in our worthiness. I've heard people praying, beginning their prayer. If you pray this way, please stop. Dear Lord, I am so unworthy to come into your presence. And God is probably in heaven going, duh. What? Did you think you were ever worthy? Of course, you're not worthy to come into God's presence. None of us are worthy to come into God's presence. If you pray that way, then stop, because even in that prayer of Lord, I'm not worthy to come into your presence. Well, in some ways, some hidden message in there as if you could be worthy. You can never be worthy to come into God's presence. If you could be worthy and there was something that you could do to get worthy, God would tell you in the Bible, God would say, look, here's how you get worthy. Go up to the mountain, sit in the pretzel position, study your navel, come down, grow eight-pound watermelons, and take them to the swap meet and sell them. And after you've sold 100, then you are worthy. That's ridiculous. Because... There's nothing you can do to be worthy. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Because we are unworthy. Somebody please say amen. That's why he went to the cross. Because you couldn't do it for yourself. And by the way, that's why he didn't tell you to go to the cross. Because we're unworthy. And he knows that. And that's why Jesus died. So we stand in grace. We stand in grace. It's all grace because we are unworthy. It's all grace. Everything we do is about grace. We stand in grace. We live in grace. We breathe in grace. We walk in grace. You guessed it. We talk in grace. It's all about grace. We have access because of grace and you're justified because of grace. In him, you are worthy. Listen, these verses could be translated this way. Through Jesus Christ, we have gained access to God in the past. And we still enjoy that access. And we gain the gift of grace of this access through our faith. And we not only have stood in this access, but we are still standing in it. Amen, Amen, saints? It's grace. Number three, talking about being justified and the benefits of justification Notice Paul says, I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I rejoice in verse two, in the hope of the glory of God. Now, listen, give me your attention. This word hope is not a worldly hope. It's not like, you know, I hope I get the job. I hope I get married. I hope the fish are biting. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. It's not that kind of hope. That's a worldly hope. When the Bible talks about hope and biblical hope, the Bible is talking about something that is of a certainty. The hope that we have in Christ is a certainty. It's not a possibility. It's a certainty. We're going to heaven. Had you thought of this lately? We are going to heaven and it is a certainty that God is going to take us to heaven. And the Bible says it's going to happen any time now. You don't know. It could happen today. Might happen before we get to chapter 6. You don't know. It could happen. The Bible says it's going to happen with a shout. With the trump of God. And and with the voice of an archangel. We're going to be changed, the Bible says, in the speed of light. And this corruption will take on incorruption. And this mortal, the Bible says, will put on immortality. We are going to heaven. Isn't that a lovely thought? It's a choice word. Lovely. Going to heaven is a lovely thought. When we get to heaven, listen, you won't be tired in heaven. Heaven is different than here. You won't be tired. You won't worry in heaven. You won't worry, you know, you can't get those washboard abs. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) You won't worry about that in heaven. You know, if you're a kid, you won't have to worry about going to bed. In heaven, you can go to bed whenever you want. You won't even have to take a bath in heaven. Some of the boys are like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. In heaven, listen, there'll be no more sin, no more sickness, No more suffering, no more divorce, no more mental institutions, no more hospitals, no more abortion, no more child abuse, no more child abduction, no more politics, no more politics. Somebody say amen, no more politics. In heaven, it's going to be different in heaven. No more pain and no more tears and no more police and no more lawyers in heaven. No more lawyers, no more lawyers in heaven. No more traffic tickets. That's a good thing for me. You know, it goes on and on, and here's what I'm trying to get across to you guys, that we have these benefits when we talk about being blessed and you say, well, how you doing? I'm blessed. Do we really understand, blessed, blessed. Oh, but blessed is the overarching term. Okay, now when we talk about how we're blessed, we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and on of the blessings of being justified and what it means to be blessed. Do you understand? Amen. We are blessed and we have so many benefits that come along with those blessings. Notice in verse 3 and 4 in your Bibles, I got to move on. And not only that, Paul says in verse 3 and 4, but we glory in tribulation. Stop right there, look at me. We glory in tribulation. Rodney, what does that mean? I will, my sister. Right. She said, Yeah, break it down. I said, All right. Okay. I'll try. Give it a best shot. Okay. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It threw me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. I, you know, I, it, it doesn't mean don't worry, be happy. You know, that's the Bobby McPherson philosophy. Don't worry, be happy. It doesn't mean that. Listen, Paul isn't saying when he talks about that we glory in tribulations. Paul isn't saying let's all put on a smiling face and be happy. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, it doesn't mean, watch this, to glory for tribulation. Are you listening? It doesn't mean to glory for tribulation. Like, oh, <laughs> I am so glad I have cancer. <laughs> I've met people like that. They glory for, it says we glory in tribulation. It doesn't say we glory for tribulation. I know people who are... Going through how you well how you doing, man? Well <laughs> praise God, everything's great. Oh, praise the Lord, I'm going through suffering and <laughs> oh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Ah, 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 ah. Listen, that's weird, okay? Nobody's happy that they're, oh, I'm so glad I'm suffering. Nobody does that. If you do that, you need Prozac. That's a problem. That's a problem. Nobody glory. Look, i tell you what, when I'm suffering, I keep it real with God. Somebody say amen. I keep it I'm suffering. I say, God, I am hating my life right now. I hate life. I hate it. God, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I'm suffering. Where are you? What a God that I die. <laughs> can I get a witness? Anybody? I just keeping it real. I am not one of them people to go, oh, well, you're suffering. Oh, well, yeah. Well, everything's great. Everything's not great. And Paul is not, you know, God wants us to keep it real. God can deal with you when you're honest. But when you're like, oh, I'm suffering. Yeah. Oh, great. This is wonderful. God's like, that's not real. No, God doesn't tell us that we glory for tribulation. It says that we glory in tribulation. And it doesn't mean also to just grin and bear it and tough it out. Listen, what does it mean? It simply means this to glory in tribulation is to be able to give God glory even when we're going through it. It's the ability to praise God no matter what you're going through. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach when you become a Christian that you are exempt from trials. As a matter of fact, I have found this to be true. When I became a Christian, my trials got worse. My trials increased. Why? Because Satan knows now you've been transferred. Are you listening from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life? And now you're on God's side. And now you're going to be serving God. Now you're going to become a soldier for Christ. And Satan knows that now you're going to become a threat to his kingdom. So what does he do? He seeks to increase the trials in your life, the problems in your life, so that you'll want to come back over to his side and begin to serve him. That's exactly what happened with Job. Job was a man after God's own heart, just like David. And Job's trials increased. But as Job remained faithful, the Bible tells us that his end was better than his beginning. Amen. His end was better than his beginning. So when you become a Christian, many times your trials will increase. But here's the good news. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The good news is, are you listening? That Jesus is with us. He said, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the earth to glory and tribulation. You know, when I think in think of glory and tribulation, I think of Acts chapter 16. Oh, you know, the story is Paul and Silas were in prison for preaching the gospel and got to understand something. The prison that Paul and Silas were in, it wasn't like our prisons today with cable TVs and a fitness center. I'm going to go to prison, work out, man. I'm going to come out buff. You know what I mean? Three hots in the cot, man. I just go do my time. I'm going to come out looking good. No, that didn't happen then. Paul and Silas were in prison, and it was a stinky, smelly, dirty, rat infested dungeon. And the Bible tells us don't you know the story that they began to sing and praise God? And there was this quiet confidence in them that allowed them to sing in the midnight hour because they knew that God was with them. And they weren't happy that they were in prison. But while they were in prison, they decided to glory in tribulation and to praise God. They glory in the tribulation because they had faith in God. It makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach and a bad Negro. It's in the Hebrew. (laughs) Amen. Amen. How y'all know he wasn't a bad Negro? He might have been. <laughs> y'all don't know. You don't know your Bible. That's the problem. <laughs> and they, they, they gloried in, in tribulation. I mean, they looked to God and they trusted God. They, they trusted in God and they looked to God. And even in their situation, they remained faithful to God. You see, when you become a Christian, God doesn't make you immune from suffering. When you become a Christian, listen, God, adjusts your perspective and God opens your eyes to eternal things. God will oftentimes answer your prayer. The exact thing that you want, you pray, God, make me the man that you want me to be. God, I want to be a man after your own heart. God, I want to be a woman after you. I want to be your man and be conformed in the image of God. Well, God says, great. I want to do that in you. So what God will often do is God will put you in a fix to fix you. Amen. That was deep and theological, wasn't it? God will put you in a fix to fix you. And that's why the whole teaching of if you're suffering and going through problems, you must be in sin. There must be something wrong with your life or whatever. That teaching is not from the Lord because God will oftentimes use trials to adjust your And to open your eyes to spiritual things, to open your eyes to the things of God. So because we are justified, we're reconciled. We have access and peace. We have grace and hope. This is what changes your perspective when you are suffering. And not only do we glory in tribulation, look in your Bibles again. Not only do we glory in tribulation, but we know that tribulation is. Has a purpose. And look at it in your Bible. And the purpose of tribulation is to produce what, saints? Perseverance or patience in your Bibles. Listen, when you're going through something difficult, because you trust God, you find yourself reaching out to heaven. And when you reach out to heaven, God reaches down to the earth. And God helps us. And God sustains us. And God changes us. And God fills us with his spirit and we learn patience and we learn to bear up under our suffering. This is why Christians can go through things and handle things in the world. And people look at the Christian going through suffering. How is it that you're still going to church? How is it that you're still worshiping God? How is it that you're still got a smile on your face and and you're holding up under your suffering that's because we have the spirit of god who causes us to bear up under suffering Amen. and because we understand that there is a purpose behind the suffering there's a method to the madness that god is trying to work something in you god is trying to produce in you patience and perseverance and perseverance, according to the scriptures, look at it again, produces what? Character, you see that? Character describes the quality of being approved or standing the test. Character, listen at this story, is told of a farmer, give me your attention. It's told of a farmer who owned an old mule. And the mule fell into the farmer's well. The farmer heard the mule braying or whatever it is that mules do when they fall in the wells. And after carefully assessing the situation, the farmer sympathized with the mule, but decided that neither the mule nor the well was worth the trouble of saving. Instead, he called his neighbors together and he told them what had happened and enlisted them to help him haul dirt to bury the mule in the well and to put him out of his misery. Well, initially, the old mule was hysterical, but as the farmer and his neighbors continued shoveling and the dirt hit his back, a thought struck the mule. It suddenly dawned on him that every time a shovel load of dirt landed on his back, he would shake it off and step up. Well, this he did shovel after shovel, shake it off and step up, shake it off and step up, shake it off and step up. up. And he repeated it to encourage himself. And no matter how painful the blows or distressing the situation seemed, the old mule fought panic and just kept right on shaking it off and stepping up. And it wasn't long after, before the, the old mule, battered and exhausted, stepped triumphantly over the wall of that well. What seemed like it would bury him had actually blessed him, all because of the manner in which he handled his adversity. That, my friend, listen... Is character. When adversity comes our way and tries to bury us, we Christians, listen, you can't do this in your flesh. You do it by the power of the Spirit. We Christians take those adversities and we use them to benefit us and to bless us. Whatever the adversity might be, you would begin to to learn to forgive. You learn to pray. You learn to have faith. You learn to praise. You learn to have hope. And all of these things are the ways in which we as believers shake it off and step up. You understand? Shake it off and do what? Step up. That's what we're to do as believers. When adversity comes, we shake it off and we step up. Character, Paul says, produces the benefit of hope. And hope, in verse 5, I'm coming in for a landing. And hope... Does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. That's all right. Listen. Listen. It's very possible that Paul, as he was writing this, was thinking about the Roman amphitheater. In the Roman amphitheater, the Roman emperor would oftentimes, as thousands and tens of thousands of people would come together for the games, he would allow a mist, a spray of perfume, to mist down upon the people to kind of settle them down. Almost like an aromatherapy, if you will. And this mist would come out and, and the people would... And it would calm them down. And it's very possible that Paul has that in mind as he says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's this love of God that gives us the ability to bear up under suffering. It's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts that gives us this access that we now take advantage of, that we now know of. It's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts that causes us to be justified and sanctified. And someday we're going to be glorified. The love of God that shed abroad in our hearts that causes us to cry out for the grace of God in which we stand. And Paul says it's because of this love. Listen, that love will not disappoint you. It will not disillusion you. It is a love that is certain. It's not hope. It's love that is certain. That if we stay close to God, if we allow God to take the, the, the situations and the trials and the things that life bring you, because life is life, listen, life, is, that happens, stuff happens, it's life. But you take those things and you allow those adversities to build you. And even, could I dare say, you welcome them. And you allow them to come into your life and you take them and you, with forgiveness and prayer, and you shake it off and you step up. And I guarantee you, you keep stepping up high enough, you're going to be right in the presence of God. (laughs) You're going to be right in the presence of God. Because you shake it off and you step up. Because God's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're going through, listen, God's love is for certain. No matter what happens, God loves his people.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.